good afternoon and welcome to Your DIY Health here on the Eurofolk Radio Network. I'm your host, Sergeant Jim Ram, retired. You can call me Sarge. It's Thursday, February 10th, 2022. And uh, we're going to be shifting gears and going to our uh, usual Thursday format with uh, Mike Gaddy, our uh, constitutional hist- uh, authority and or scholar, I should say, and forensic historian. And... Uh, I will say, check out the website, yourdiyhealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R-D-I-Y, like do-it-yourself, H-E-A-L-T-H, yourdiyhealth.com, and our sister site, yourdiywealth.com. And while you're there, be sure and hit the Hyperverse tab, and you will be able to see how you can capitalize on the next mega trend that is greater than the Internet and mobile phone revolutions combined, and how you can become a part of the dynamic hyper community and experience the incredible benefits of membership. So anyway, that being said, welcome to the show, Mike. How are we doing today? Uh, doing well, Jim. I hope you are. Yep, I'm doing just super-rific. <laughs> but, super fantabulistic? Yeah, super califragilistic, expialidocious, and all that, that good too. stuff. That too. Yeah, finest frogs are parted three ways. Anyway, we're going to be talking about Operation Keelhaul today, if I recall. That is correct. And cool. last week we uh, attempted to provide to the people who actually controlled both the U.S. and the British government during World War II. And I think the uh, evidence is overwhelming and irrefutable as to the fact that uh, FDR, the FDR administration, was completely controlled by Stalin agents operating inside the White House, two of whom uh, operating inside the administration, two of whom actually lived in the White House with FDR, that's amazing. During the course of World War II. And both proved later in the after the war to have been were proved to have been Soviet agents. And when you look at the uh, decisions they made for FDR and the decisions that actually prompted what we're going to talk about today, Operation Keelhaul. They were very much involved in that as well. And my question to anyone listening who will look at anything objectively is considering what the British and the Americans did to these Russians in Operation Keelhaul, Russians and others, what we did to them, how does that differ from what Hitler is alleged to have done to the Jews? You know, when you kill somebody or you bring about their certain death and you know that your actions will create their sudden death, do the numbers matter? Are you a more of a murderer if you murder three or if you murder one or are you still a murderer anyway? But we do know that what the U.S. and uh, Britain did in Operation Keelhaul led to the death of at least 2 million Russians. Now, if you are a graduate of the public fool system, you probably have never heard of Operation Keelhaul. You probably, and uh, most Americans didn't hear about Operation Keelhaul for 40 years, until 40 years after the war was over. You know, you kind of let a generation, new generation take over, who've been indoctrinated in the public fool system, 
And then if you throw truth on them, they really don't care because it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, that's for sure. But what, what happened in Operation Barbarossa when Hitler invaded the Soviet Union in 1940 was that millions of Russians said to themselves, I don't care who this guy Hitler is. Whatever he is, he can't be as bad as Stalin. So millions of Russians, yes, millions, at least two, two million Russians joined the Nazi army to fight against their own country. Now, what does that take? Imagine today, if you would, that we were invaded by a foreign country. Let's call it Russia, China, what have you. And suddenly, two million or more Americans decided, hey, I don't know what they're doing, but it can't be as bad as what we're living in. What does that take for someone to turn against their own country? How bad had to be the conditions? Well, we know uh, Stalin uh, had just starved to death at least seven to nine million Ukrainians in 1932 and 33. We know that. That's documented, well documented. And we know that the U.S. government and the British government both covered that up. Why were they covering for Stalin? Why would they cover up the murder of millions of people, innocent farmers in the Ukraine? Why would the government have covered that up for Stalin and then become Stalin's ally in World War II? Well, some of the things are really ironic, Jim, and that is that when the U.S. and the British authorities prior to D-Day in 45, 44, 45, I'm sorry, but prior to D-Day, the American and the British governments contacted Stalin and said, according to our military intelligence, the majority of German soldiers protecting the Normandy area are in fact Russians in German uniforms. To which Stalin replied, hell no, nobody deserted the Soviet Union to fight for Germany. That's all bull. Don't worry about it. Go ahead with your invasion plans. There are no Russians who defected to Germany lying through his teeth, because it was in fact true. Many of the people that we encountered at in the D-Day invasion in Normandy, many of them were in fact Russians of Russian nationality, but they were fighting for the Germans. So then as Patton was held up by Eisenhower so that the Russians could take Germany, and especially Berlin, Millions of, or hundreds of thousands of these people were uh, captured by the U.S. and by Britain at various times during World War II. So then we have at Yalta, the meeting in Yalta between Churchill, FDR, and 
Stalin. Stalin demands that all of the Russians who had defected from Russia, you know, those ones that didn't defect during Normandy, he demanded that all of them be returned. Now, this was a secret military operation, which was agreed to by both Churchill and FDR at the Yalta Peace Conference. And so they agreed to send back these two million men into the hands of Joseph Stalin, who was going to punish them, as he openly stated, punishing them for being traitors to communism. This operation was kept secret from the American people for decades. Now, for those of you who may have been in the military, especially in the Navy, you will know that the term keelhaul refers to the most brutal punishment that could ever be inflicted on a sailor, whereby a sailor is tortured by tying him in ropes and hauling him under the boat's keel to virtually certain death. What about the subterfuge that was done by this government and by the British government in order to get these people to where they would surrender so they could be turned over to Stalin primarily for execution and torture and for slave labor? One example of this subterfuge was in a was a conference on May the 28th of 45 in Linz, Austria. The British forces there told the Cossacks and the Cossack officials to attend this conference and their families, don't worry about your families, everything's going to be all right. An English officer calmed their nerves by declaring, I assure you on my word of honor as a British officer that you are just going to a conference. That's documented, people. That's what he told the Cossacks. Then 2,749 Cossacks, including 2,201 officers, were driven into a prison camp where they were picked up by Soviet armed authorities and forcibly returned to the Soviet Union, many of them being shot upon their arrival. In Austria that May, Churchill perpetrated the same sort of what he called an act of a loyal ally. But out of our accustomed modesty in America, we did not publicize it. He turned over to the Soviet command the Cossack Corps of 90,000 men. This surrender was an act of double dealing consistent with the spirit of traditional English diplomacy. <laughs> yeah. The heart of the matter was that the Cossacks were determined to fight to the death, which they had stated themselves, or they would even cross the ocean all the way to Paraguay or even into Indochina if they were forced to do so, rather than ever surrender alive to the Soviets. Knowing this, the English proposed that the Cossacks give up their arms on the pretext of replacing them with more modern standardized weapons. Then the British 
summoned the officers without the enlisted men to this conference on the future of the army in the city of Judenburg, which was under English occupation in Germany. But the English had secretly turned the city over to the Soviet Union armies the night before. Forty busloads of officers, all the way from commanders of companies up to General Koznov himself, crossed a high viaduct and drove straight down into the semicircle of Black Marias, next to which stood convoy guards with lists in their hands. The road back was blocked by Soviet tanks. The officers didn't even have anything with which to shoot themselves or to stab themselves to death since their weapons had been taken away. They jumped from the viaduct onto the paving stones below. And just as treacherously, the English turned over the rank-and-file soldiers enlisted by the trainload pretending and pretending and also telling them that they were on their way to receive new commanders, new weapons, and to meet up with their commander. Now, the first U.S. attempt at repatriation of these Cossacks and other Russians who had fought against Russia, several of them committed suicide because they had already heard through the grapevine what was happening to their people. Now stop and think about the fact here were people, and this is documented people, these people, knowing that they were going to be sent back to the Soviet Union to possibly immediate death and torture, didn't have any weapons. And it's documented that they committed what we would call suicide upon each other by biting each other's juggler veins to avoid going back to Russia. These men begged to be shot. They resisted being placed on trains by taking off their clothing and refusing to leave their quarters. The U.S. military officials used tear gas and what have you, to force them out. Tear gas forced them out of the building into the snow where those who had cut and stabbed themselves with whatever was handy, nails, etc., fell exhausted and bleeding in the snow. Nine different men hanged themselves and one had stabbed himself to death and another who had stabbed himself subsequently died. While 20 others are still in the hospital from self-inflicted wounds. This is from the official document. The entrainment was finally effected of 368 men who were set off accompanied by a Russian liaison officer on a train carrying American guards. Six men jumped from the train and escaped en route. This incident was shocking. There is considerable disfaction on the part of the American officers and men that they are being required by the American government to repatriate these Russians. See, Jim, that is where we get into a huge discussion, at least in my opinion. Because the study that I did, and I can provide anyone who wants this study uh, by PDF, a military study was conducted about how an American soldier 
could deal with the fact that they were ordered to do something which was immoral. And I believe this became, the way that the military dealt with this, became the accepted practice of what we're seeing today, of where it doesn't make any difference whether the war was declared or not, it doesn't make any difference whether what you're ordered to do is moral or ethical or not, you will do it regardless. Just following Jim, orders. You, I'm sorry, sir? Just following orders. Exactly. And I made a point the other day pointing out that Chief, not Chief Justice, I'm sorry, but U.S. Supreme Court Justice Robert H. Jackson told the defendants at Nuremberg, claiming you are just following orders from your superior or just doing what is required of your government is not a defense in a war crime. Yep. And we hanged the Russians. I'm sorry, we hanged the Nazis for that. And now we have the same thing in America with our military and even with our police because our police have implied immunity. If you go out and kill someone that should that's just a totally an immoral act, illegal, unconstitutional, whatever you want to call it, if they do that, they can't be tried because they are protected by the state or the government. And Jim, how can it be how can there be any difference if it occurred the way they said it did? If millions of Jews were put into gas chambers, what is the difference in that and us sending Russians to their death when we knew they were going to die? There's there's uh, things in the National Archives about this, about generals being told that officers up to the rank of captain were saying, I'm not sending these people back. We know what's going to happen to them and everything else. And general officers saying, do it or replace them. If they won't do what they're told to do by orders, replace them. Good did grief. we did we cross the river? Did we cross it there, Jim? With I'd that? Say, I'd say so. Build a four-lane bridge. That's oh. insane. Well, and if you want the documentation for what I read earlier, there is a book written by one Julius Epstein oh, uh, <laughs> called Operation Keelhaul, the story of forced repatriation from 1944 to the present. Now, I'm not sure about Mr. Epstein, but the one thing I will tell you is the government figures out that uh, he must be telling the truth, because if you want his little book, it'll cost you over 200 bucks. Of course. <laughs> The truth but is it, never free. Uh, there is also a great place, and I would highly recommend this book. It's called The Pariah Files, 25 Dark Secrets You're Not Supposed to Know. That book was published in 2003, not that long ago. And it contains the stories and the documents from Operation Keelhaul. And also mentioned uh, was... Alexander Solzhenitsyn mentioned Keel Hall in the Gulag Archipelago. If you 
mm-hmm. wondered about the Pacific location. It's in volume one, page 259. So these things are well documented. Jim, Jim, are we, do we have any moral high ground in this government? <laughs> We would have to dig up for weeks and weeks and months and probably years to get to the high ground or climb up. We're so far, we're, we're below the depths of the sea. The scumbags running this country. Well, Jim, on Sunday evening with Cal and Scorpio, I did a program on prisoners of war and missing in action. And I hope people got to listen to it, but I was telling Cal and D.W., uh, that I just barely scratched the surface in two hours. I didn't realize how much material I had on that. I can imagine. And uh, so that being said, having been a at uh, one time uh, just uh, a member, and then one time, and then I was elected to the board of directors, and then in 1989 I was elected vice president of the American Foundation for Accountability of Prisoner of War and Missing in Action. So. I have some extensive knowledge of that, and but uh, since I mentioned D.W., let me jump ship here for just a second. Our good friend D.W. is back home in Alabama oh. after after traveling to uh, Iowa to uh, participate in a ceremony for the life of his mother last mm-hmm. Saturday, and uh, he is now back. And uh, I tell you what, uh, talking to him on the phone uh, quite a bit yesterday. Old DW sounds a whole lot better. It seems like that uh, contrail flu has kind of uh, lessened its grip on him a bit. So that's good. Uh, just just wanted to update uh, folks on old DW. Good, I appreciate it. I was wondering how he was doing. Glad things well, are getting better. He's going to be on with me as normal and usual on the Sunday night program, uh, as our good friend Brent likes to say. And he says it much better than me, mm-hmm. addicted to your own destruction. Yeah, and he's, have, to, he, have to make he, another one up for that. <laughs> he, he, he sent me a tape of that, and I, I just did not have the opportunity to get it ready. But I'm going to have it ready for the future because um, <laughs> I, I love the way he does that. And then, uh, and then just a, don't you have the one about being put down by the man? Another example of the man keeping us down. <laughs> no. <laughs> there it is. I, and I've, I've got him in the recordings uh, where he's talking about addicted to your own destruction, so I may have to go back in there and find it and pull it out, <laughs> add it to another button. Oh, man. Well, I gotta, he, was going, he was going to do some uh, uh, stuff for me for my POW MIA show, but he had some technical difficulties with a phone, what have you, last Sunday. And he wasn't able to get them out to me. He got them out to me later. I really was interested in having him uh, read the verses to Charlie Daniels' song about uh, POWs and MIAs. Oh, man. And uh, I've got a tape of it now, so uh, we've got to start. Cool. Uh, I think Samuel wanted to say something. Yeah, I, I think Eisenhower gets the distinction of being the best fish-in-a-barrel general. He killed more people off the battlefield than he ever did on it. Well, Samuel, are you familiar with Ryan Meadows? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, what uh, he was able to kill about a million Germans there by uh, 
simply making a notation on a piece of paper that they were no longer prisoners of war, but enemy combatants. So with the slice of a pen, he changed the designation of those people. If they were considered to be POWs, they would have had to been treated by ethical standards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, do, Mike, do you know if, uh, you know, the, the Atlantic Wall was defended by probably at least 50% um, foreign troops that volunteered to fight for Germany. Uh, did they end up in Kiel Hall or being that far east or that far west? Uh, yes, they ended up as being uh, repatriated to Stalin under the Operation Kiel Hall. Jesus. <laughs> wow. I didn't. I, I know they got the Cossacks and the Romanians and all those guys in that deal, but I didn't, you know, a lot of people don't realize that uh, during D-Day at Normandy, there were very few German troops, good German troops there. And the poor guys at Omaha Beach, unfortunately, ran into one of the few that there were. And, you know, uh, Rommel wanted more mobilization of that front with the tanks being close by instead of pulled way back, if they would have had mobile support at Omaha Beach, the guys would have never got on shore. That is true. And, uh, you know, the, there was the story about uh, uh, no one wanted to wake Hitler up to uh, get authorization to, uh, to put uh, additional forces into the area. I'm not sure I've read that, but I'm not sure how true it is. But uh, are you familiar with Operation Tiger? No, I'm not. That is where they were using Patton as a decoy. Oh, okay. They wanted the Russians to believe that the invasion was coming from a, I mean, the Nazis to believe that the invasion was coming from a different place altogether. And they had created, uh, they knew that the Nazis were taking aerial photographs and they had created tanks and other vehicles out of cardboard. You know, Rommel was predicting Normandy because he says it's similar to beaches to the ones in Africa. Mm-hmm. And Rommel, um, had, Rommel had studied Patton, just like Patton had studied Rommel. That, that is a, those two uh, generals had studied each other's tactics, I mean, down to the most minute detail. Yeah. And that is why... Uh, when uh, Rommel was trying to convince the Nazi leadership that the invasion was going to be at Normandy, and uh, they kept yelling and screaming, the leaders kept yelling and screaming, no way, the, the invasion has to be led by the most able officer that the Allies have, and that's George Patton. They would not stick Patton out in the woods somewhere and invade with inferior forces and inferior leadership. Yeah, I guess they didn't know he was working with Stalin, <laughs> or his his commanders were. <laughs> but, yeah, well, obviously. <laughs> you know, Stalin so, had that saying. He said, "What uh, one person is a tra one dead person is a tra tragedy, and a million is a statistic." Right. Uh, and uh, but uh, Samuel, just your impression while you're on here, is there a difference? And the American leadership sending these men to die, and they knew they were going to die. I've got a copy from the National Archives where one general said, 
yeah, we know they're going to be killed, but that's not our problem. So if, as a matter of fact, the first ship, I can't remember the name of it, but the very first ship that landed in Russia with these uh, repatriates on it, as they got off of the ship, they were lined up and shot down. Yeah. And this, this information went back and people found out about it. I give the Brits a little bit of credit here because uh, there is a series or a short series on one of the British networks called Foils War, F-O-Y-L-E-S War. And it uh, is a series about a policeman, a police officer during, the, during World War II in Britain. And towards the end of their series, in their last season, they did a complete show on Operation Keel Hall. Now, mm. I promise you, you're not going to see that on American TV. No. Well, it was wholesale slaughter at the end of the war of a lot of innocent people. The Gustav, you know, full of women and children and, you know, over, I don't know, what was it? I think the ship could hold five and they had it packed to something like 10. And the Russians sank that. Well, should um, there be... Should there be a, uh, a heavier demonization of Hitler, even if he did what he's alleged to have done, should there be a heavier demonization of him than Stalin and Churchill and uh, even the U.S.? <laughs> In my opinion, absolutely not. He, I mean, I think, you know, who knows everything about Hitler, but... You know, I mean, guys fighting wars like this have got to do a lot of things that aren't too cool. But, uh, I mean, the the German command was highly, highly, you know, um, in, in enforcement of, I mean, they, they killed, uh, they shot something like 15,000 of their own men for behavior that wasn't acceptable. They also lost about as many men that were uh, um, commissioned officers, another 15,000, because they were leading their troops. They were always in harm's way. They didn't believe in fighting from behind the, the, uh, <laughs> you know, the lines. They were, they were right up there with their men. Well, are you familiar, so think- Samuel, with the Katyn Forest? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's where the the Germans supposedly took out, what, 30,000 of the uh, of the Polish um, echelon, upper echelon of the military. And, you know, they proved that it was a, a hoax, too. Just like you, there's no evidence for any any uh, of the Holocaust either. I mean, the Red Cross was there. They knew exactly what was going on. Um, a lot of the guys like Ford and Hitchcock made their bones on propaganda over there, and that's why they got the cushy jobs in Hollywood when it was all over. Well, let's not forget that the good old Republican president, Ronald Reagan, told several people that he was involved and he had pictures from the death camps uh, as, when he was assigned to the Army, and yet he never left the United States. Yeah. 
I used to go to air shows uh, when the, a lot of our veterans were still around. We used to have one out in Ignacio, um, California, which is part of Novato now. It uh, was a 10,000-foot runway that brought everything by air that went into the Pacific. So when they had air shows there, they, they attracted a lot of veterans. And, you know, some of these guys uh, said, well, I saw I saw Germans take babies and slam them against the uh, the, the the door of uh, the side of a barn and, and, and things like this. And I said, well, uh, um, are you sure those weren't Russians who stole German uniforms? Because that was one of the, one of the things that they did. Well, uh, you know, when you mention, want to mention that kind of atrocity, are you familiar with the records in the National Archives which show that when the, uh, especially with the, uh, the March to the Sea by Sherman, that uh, they would uh, go to a home, and of course there weren't any fighting men there, but they would go to a home and take either take a woman, either black or white, and tie her to a post at the house, and then take her infant child and put him in the snow, and say, <laughs> "We will we will allow you access to your child when you tell us where the silver is hidden." What's the difference? Yeah. Well, those are the kinds of things that I, I do believe, from what I've read, that the German army would execute you for. Well, we know one thing for sure is that uh, Stonewall Jackson had no problem in executing men in, under his command who violated the moral rules of war as if there were moral rules for war. But uh, in his mind, there were things you did not do, and there is documented evidence of Stonewall having men executed under his own command for what we would today call war crimes. Yeah, there's there, there's so much propaganda in all of this stuff that uh, it, it's it's hard to wade through. Uh, people believe this government is uh, benevolent for some reason. All they have to do is really start to do a little research and find out that their hands have been bloody for from day one. Well, Samuel, let's look at something and try to. This is the analogy I keep trying to making to make. And I, try, I made this analogy over and over on my program on Sunday night about POWs and MIAs. Why would you trust a government that has done the things this government has done? Why would you trust them when they tell you you need a vaccine? Exactly. Why would you trust them when they tell you you need to wear a mask? Why would you trust them if they said anything? They have no record of morality. That's the whole, the whole reason that uh, Perloff wrote his, his one book where he says, if you take, take one of these incidences that the government has done and uh, you tell people about it, it, yeah, sort of shrug it off. But when you layer it on in the dozens, uh, it starts to have some impact. And that's pretty much what he did with his book called Truth is a Lonely Warrior. 
Right. Well, if you take a million Germans and put them in a fenced-in enclosure with no buildings, no bathrooms, and no food, and allow them to either die from exposure or die from hunger or die from communicable diseases, how does that make you better than a guy who allegedly put people in an oven? <laughs> yeah. Uh, when, in fact... You know, the Holocaust was really on the German people. It, it was never on the Jews. Oh, well, uh, Jim, where'd you go, buddy? Well, I'm still here just listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, do we uh, have anyone? I know we're, uh, we finished up. or we, I, I've got more to do on Keelall if you want to do it. No, but go I, right I ahead. Think, well, I think I made my point. Mm-hmm. And that was, in essence, what I wanted to do with Keel Hall is to prove that Americans, we have no moral high ground. No. We, can't, we can't say anybody is bad. And then one of the things I saw this week that really, really troubled me is that members of both parties are all ready and willing to go to war with Russia. Right. I was just going to bring that up. <laughs> if Russia happens to invade uh, the Ukraine, well, I'm going to tell you, if you read Operation Northwoods and a few other operations that this government has been involved in, if you read those, why would you trust the U.S. press and the media and anyone in politics who said that the Russians invaded the exactly. Ukraine? Unless you're there with your eyes on the situation, and even then you got to wonder. <laughs> but well, one of the things I was talking with my uh, good friend Robert yesterday, and also, uh, and Robert said he couldn't uh, listen today because of his job, but he would listen to the replay. Yeah. And uh, also, my good friend Mike Clifford up in Northwest Arkansas, and we were talking about why, because if you hear something on the news the 24-hour lobotomy box, if you hear something on the news, there is a 98.9% chance it's false. Mm -hmm. So why would you be willing to take any action whatsoever based on what liars tell you? And my other question was this on Facebook this week. Why would you accept a lie from the government that you would not accept from your best friend or a member of your family. Good question. Why? Is it uh, is the answer indoctrination in the public fool system? That's a big part of it. And twenty four hours on the lobotomy box doesn't hurt anything. Yep. It's a sad, sad situation. And then, of course, go back to William Casey, 1981, <laughs> director of the CIA. We will know our disinformation program is complete when everything the American public believes is false. Yep. But why can't you get people to believe they're going to do what they said they were going to do, Jim? I don't know. I've given up trying to figure out the American sheeple. Does a free man have a chance of survival in a nation of idiots? 
we're going to find out. <laughs> that experiment's going on right now, I think. And well, I'll tell very, you what. Very well said. Yeah, it's uh, not looking good. But we just have to wait and see, I guess. You know, Absolutely. If they've it, had it the is... if they've had the sense to prepare and stock up and everything, at least they can hunker down for a little while. And uh, that's one of the things I was talking about on my morning show with all the situation with the truckers. And this is, I, you know, I just you know, a little side thing. This is something that you know Fidel Jr. up there in Ottawa or wherever he's hiding apparently hasn't figured out. You know, he won't negotiate or talk to the truckers at all. And they have basically shut the country down, and they're having a, a carnival, <laughs> really, <laughs> in the streets of Ottawa with their bouncy houses and music and feeding the homeless and cleaning up the trash and all kinds of stuff. And Fidel Jr. is uh, making them out to be criminals and all the, the local uh, boards, whatever you want to call them, their uh, commissioners and whatnot, are ranting and raving about how people are feeling pressured and they can't go out and enjoy their life and they can't do this and they can't do that and i said you know what's the difference between what's going on now and what you've imposed upon the canadian people for the last two years it's just you're not in control of it this time so you're upset and uh, the shoe's on the other foot now but the the bottom line is whether the truckers are sitting with their trucks parked in the streets of ottawa or the truckers are sitting in jail after Fidel Jr. arrests them all, they still win because they're not trucking. <laughs> they're not moving goods from part point A to point B. So regardless of where they're at, as long as they're not doing their chosen profession, the, the country's going to be locked down and there will be nothing moving. And sooner or later, they're going to have to give in to these guys or it'll be the end of the country. At least that's my take on it. So I think I'd love to see the same thing happening everywhere. Well, Jim, uh, mm -hmm. you bring up you bring up a question that I have asked a lot of my good friends. What does this government do if and when it realizes that its lies are being exposed? They're just going to lie more, and then they're going to try and loot finish looting the government before they get taken down. I think that's the main thing. Well, Jim, uh, even old James Madison, somebody I'm not too happy with, but even James Madison made the statement that governments use war to blind the people. Mm -hmm. Because the minute you go to war, you create patriotism that wasn't there before you declared war. Right. So is this uh, fake war with Russia over the Ukraine, is that being uh, developed in case suddenly enough people in this country figure out they've been lied to for the past two years and they decide to grow a pair and actually do something? Is that what the uh, deep state has in the uh, behind the curtain to expose us to if too many people suddenly catch on? You're the PSYOP specialist. You tell me. <laughs> I'd say that's a good good bet. I just wonder whether or not it'll work this time. 
with all the stuff that's going on and the people starting to wake up and saying no to all this stuff, seeing what's going on in the military with all the additional cancers and sickness and everything else caused by the guys that have taken these injections. I wonder if, if they do start something like that, if they're going to get the, the patriotic uh, enlistments like they did with 9-11, or if people are going to say, oh, we're sitting this one out. You figure out where you're going to get, you know, you let some of them illegal aliens coming across, you know, put them in the uniform and let them go over and get blown up, you know? Well, Jim, we, I, I know uh, you are correct when you talk about the people who ran down and or enlisted after 9-11, but let's not forget that by 2003, the United States Army had to drop their exclusion of felony convictions to get enough people into uniform. Mm -hmm. Yep. So if you suddenly had to say, okay, come on in, bring your felony conviction with you, uh, we'll still let you be a soldier. And, of course, you mentioned the PSYOPs, and that's one of the reasons I ask you that question, in having been involved in psychological operations. You always have these plans out there. You plan far ahead. You have your plan A, plan B, your plan C, and your oh shit plan. And they have an oh shit plan. I promise you that they will go to if they believe that too many Americans are waking up to what they are actually doing. And I believe that is downright war. Now, here is something. I received this message from a source that I trust, but I can't verify this, Jim. But this source has stated that the Russian nuclear submarine forces are positioned off of the Atlantic coast and off of the Pacific coast, and they have gone silent. Now, we know that for the past 21 years, while we've been running around playing at war in the Middle East, to where we couldn't defeat a bunch of uh, uh, towel heads with AK-47s and RPGs, mm -hmm. we know that we have depleted our military. We know that this social justice crap has destroyed the morale of the military, the actual fighting force of the military. We know that has happened. And throw in the injections. So, yeah. And the uh, Russians have used this time frame to develop some awesome technology and weaponry. Yeah. Not now, to mention they've I got a trained from, fighting force that's battle-hardened and ready. Yeah, and they're, and they're not uh, full of uh, Femi-Nazis. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, politically correct folks. They're not, uh, people are not there, and uh, they probably do not have a U.S. Army Lieutenant General who showed up with his husband at a recent memorial. Uh, they probably don't have that. Now, whether we want to say that is right or wrong, and that is someone's choice, I'm not going to go there. But what I'm going to tell you it does is it destroys morale. Yep. And I've always said this country is about individuality. If that's your chosen life choice, keep it to yourself. And keep it out of the military. That's my <laughs> unsolicited 
editorial comment for the day. Well, one of the things I will always remember, Jim, was it was the 2008, I believe, uh, Republican Party uh, primary conventions. And, of course, uh, John McCain was involved. Uh, several other people were involved. And at one time, they allowed, and gosh, uh, they allowed Alan Keyes, who was a candidate, a black man, they allowed him to participate in the first debate. And one of the questions I will never forget as long as I live is the question came up about gays in the military. And John McCain stated, I know personally of several people who were gay who have served this country uh, just exemplary. They have done great, great, They've done great things for this country, and I'm not going to criticize them. And Alan Keyes was next with a question, and he said, uh, Senator McCain, you stated that you knew all of these uh, people who were gay in the military and how they had. Uh, and he said, I'm not going to contest that. But my question for you, sir, would be, how did you know? <laughs> Yep. So, yeah, I got a question from uh, a person that uh, on my kind of my personal chat line, and their question was, Jim, uh, let's expound a little bit on why American truckers aren't doing the same as those in Canada. Do you have any ideas on that? Uh, I've had a lot of different ideas. One thing I think is, you know, we're the one country left that still has guns. <clears throat> and one thought is that, you know, while everybody else is in the streets, you know, rattling their or knocking their wooden signs and stuff together, we're not doing that because that's not our last resort, and it is for these folks. Uh, whether that's the case or not, I don't know. You still got to have the people that have the, the gonads to actually use those things. Um, I honestly, at this point, I'm really not sure because I would have thought something would have happened by now, but I really don't know. Well, one of the things I've wondered about, Jim, is the fact that in, uh, I know a uh, person who lives in Alberta and I've communicated with them for years since I was writing articles way back when. And, uh, I asked them uh, when uh, Canada said, we're going to confiscate arms. I said, how did that work for you? And their response was, well, have you looked at the official documents? And I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, the government said they were confiscating arms and they kept giving us uh, time frames to turn them in, which they kept extending over <laughs> and over again. But guess what? So far, less than 12% of the people in Canada have turned in their firearms. Yeah, that's the thing. I think a lot of them have them buried in the woods. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot of places, you know, when you look at Europe and all the stuff that went on in the, in the last century, you can bet there are boatloads of arms 
in basements and attics, buried in the woods, whatever, just waiting for the right time to be brought out. Uh, and they're just trying to decide whether this is the time or not. Um, if this isn't the time, I don't know what will be. Because we are so close to the point where there's no return other than the, the cartridge box. Uh, it's it's just one of those things where, you know, I can't see it happening. Um, I got a comment on that, Jim. Go ahead, Samuel. I think this country is far superior to Canada in keeping the water temperature right and the lid on the crab than they are. I mean, Stamper in his book, Judge Stamper said, uh, the judge can do anything he wants to you in that court as long as he doesn't cause a public disturbance. And I think they're pretty good at keeping everything throttled. But there are some guys talking here in California of getting the truckers together on this coast and then uh, going all the way to Washington at this point. Yeah, well, Samuel, I've heard... And, oh, I'm sorry, me. Jim, go ahead. Well, I've heard that... Uh... You know, I saw a thing on, I forget where, but on TV or within the last week where somebody was interviewing some truckers and they were saying March 1st. I honestly wonder whether that's a uh, a real date or not. I, I don't think they want to give up their actual plan. And if anything, it's probably going to happen before that because the last thing you want to do is telegraph what you're doing and let the uh, government know, you know, to get prepared. You know, if no, they're you preparing the for March first, what's that? Oh, or it could be propaganda. False information. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of my uh, uh, good friends said in a, a message just now, three minutes ago, our UPS driver uh, just just pulled up, and he told us that the truckers' convoy is organizing, but he doesn't know if it will affect UPS. So the truckers are hearing. Uh, there's something in the wind. Uh, I don't see as successful. You can call it whatever you want to, but to me, this uh, Ottawa truck truckers uh, deal is a success because Jim, you alluded to that. Regardless of what they want to do, put them in jail, do whatever they want to do, they have accomplished their mission. Yeah, they're not running goods. So regardless of where they're at, as long as they're out, not out there running from point A to point B with cargo, they're going to win. Sooner or well, later, Jim, it's going to get well, so bad that they're going well, to have to give when in. Boobus, when Boobus figures out that he doesn't have anything to eat and it's the government that's to blame, you think people might wake up? Well, there, therein lies the issue. Because mm -hmm. if you look at what the Canadian media is doing right now, they're already working on the disinformation campaign to make it look like it's the truckers' fault and nobody, you know, these guys are a bunch of, uh, you know, just a handful and the vast majority of Canadians are in favor of, you know, what, you know, Fidel Jr. is doing. And uh, so uh, the, the uh, disinformation uh, campaign's already going. Hopefully they'll see, they've already seen with their own eyes the results and the number of people that were out there supporting this thing. And hopefully they'll have enough brain cells to rub together to know that the media is lying and that the truckers are on their side. They just want to shut this crap down and get back to normal. Uh, but that's my biggest fear, you know, with Boobus and, you know, whatever you want to call the same version in, in Canada is well, whether they'll succumb you, to the disinformation or believe what they see. 
The, the problem is, Jim, you and I live in a different bubble than the rest of this country. I was in Home Depot the other day. I was talking about the truckers up there and their movement. Nobody knew about it. Yeah, that's what I mean. Nobody you know, knew. The, the mainstream media either will not report on it, or if they do, the, the truckers are the bad guys. And or they're going to wait for, for a big clash that looks real bad that they can plaster all over the news. Then we'll get the feed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and they're, they're also putting their people out there, Asians provocateur, uh, with, uh, you know, the Nazi flags, the, the you know, uh, yeah, Confederate flags and that kind of stuff. They're doing all that kind of stuff to make, you know, to blend in. They've even got a guy that's a former... Um, uh, I forget, he was a police officer somewhere who, you know, committed some kind of crime, but when it was all said and done, he ended up with a clean record and full pay, and now he's supposedly talking on behalf of the truckers. So they've got their their people inside um, causing issues too. So that's something that those guys need to watch for. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy, but we may, you know, I'm hoping that uh, the people will really see through it this time. If they do, we got a good chance of winning it. But if not, you know, that's the thing. We've got to support the truckers no matter what uh, and realize that they're doing it not just for themselves but for everybody. They're, they're real patriots at this point, and it's the freaking government that needs to be shut down. Well, Jim and yeah, Samuel, let, I me, heard let, me, let me throw this at you, gentlemen, for your uh, – I think all of the people in this country who care – know what's going on in Canada. The people who don't give a shit are the other ones. And exactly. I don't really, I've gotten to the point where I really, I, I'm really not going to concern myself with them anymore. Yeah. Cause when the time comes, they're just going to be sitting on the sidelines anyway. They're not going to do anything either way. They won't try and stop the truckers. They won't try and stop the people supporting the truckers. They're just going to sit there and, and be idiots, bumps on the log. So, you know, they're kind of immaterial. They don't really matter. Uh- Part of keeping the crab in the pot, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> the, the I heard that uh, the other day that uh, these big mining trucks, you know, they're talking about how hard it is to tow a big rig, right? Oh yeah, those well, jobs. The big mining <laughs> trucks are joining these guys. Ooh. You know, <laughs> I mean, you 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 don't move those. You you bring the truck to them and do work to them. Yeah. <laughs> those puppies, man. I think I would imagine they would tear up the average pavement in the city. <laughs> yeah. I, man, I can remember well, when I was a kid um, in Sandusky, Ohio, they had a parade. It was probably on the 4th of July or something, but some dummy decided they were going to bring a tank and uh, <laughs> and put this thing in the parade. And that I watched as that tank came down. Like I said, this is summer heat and tank treads on asphalt in the summer. It just tore up the asphalt of that town, that city road. I said, they're never going to do this again. <laughs> the the New American had an article like that. I think it was back in the 80s where this guy was on a military base, and I guess he was fed up. And he drove through the, he took the tank, drove through the gate, and just hauled ass on down the road, just ripping it all up. Oh, and they man. pulled him over and asked him, what the hell did they, he finally just, I guess, ran out of gas. <laughs> and the cops were there following him, right? And they asked him, what the hell are you doing? And he says, well, I just want to show you that the military ain't all what it's cracked up to be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Especially in this uh, Well, guys, age. let's not uh, forget for a moment that uh, good old uh, 
Samuel Clemens, we call him Mark Twain, mm -hmm. he defined it perfectly in my mind. He said, in the beginning of a change, yeah. the patriot is a scarce man, but brave and hated and scorned. Mm -hmm. When his cause succeeds, the timid join him, for then it costs nothing to be a patriot. Amen. Unquote. Exactly. That dude had a lot of good sayings. Right up there with... Uh, Babies and politicians have to be changed on a regular, or diapers and politicians have to be changed on a regular basis and for the same reason. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, he probably, he and Will Rogers oh, man. Could, could probably get to the heart of an issue with the fewest words. And that being said, I was talking with Robert uh, you know, our good friend, Jim, I was talking with him and, uh, and I mentioned it, uh, to some other folks and my grandfather who lived to be a hundred, uh, could get to the very essence of a situation faster mm -hmm. than anything else. And I, I'm going to repeat this here. It's not going to make a lot of people happy, but I'm going to repeat it anyway. Uh, I was talking with him shortly before his death in 1983. And my question was, Pa, why won't people believe the truth? Why do they run from the truth? Why do they accept the comfortable lie? Why do they not want to be involved in this at all? You why answer. is that? And I'll never forget, as long as I live, his very simple comment. And he said, boy, nobody wants to believe their mother's a whore. <laughs> man that nails it and you know at the time i was kind of put back by what he said but then i started thinking about it he perfectly described the situation no one in this country wants to believe their government is rotten and corrupt yeah they don't want to believe it so they they they're searching not for the truth but for something that will confirm their feelings Yep. So they don't care if their government killed as many people as the Nazis. They don't care if their government aligned with a murdering bastard from Soviet Union. They don't care if they've been lied to about 9-11, uh, the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, you know, any of those things. They don't want to know Ruby that. Ruby Ridge, Waco. <laughs> yeah. The list goes on. Yeah. Uh, uh, Sandy Hoax. Uh, mm -hmm. they, yeah. they don't want to know any of that stuff. They don't want to know because it tells them that their mother is a whore. Basically. And so they would rather hear that acceptable lie. Oh, no, mom's fine. She's not that. She didn't do that. Mom is fine. And the whole thing boils down to the fact, Jim, is that people don't believe the truth because they don't want to believe the truth. Mm -hmm. Mama just has a lot of gentlemen friends that like to yes. stop over mm -hmm. for the weekend. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. and look how many uncles I have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you said it yourself in the question, the comfortable lie. People want to be comfortable. Like you said, they don't want to be free. They want to be comfortable. And that makes, right there, that's the point. You know, you know recently, who you just quoted, Jim? What's that? You know who you just quoted? I thought it was you. <laughs> no, wasn't me. It was Emma. It was Emma Goldman. Emma Goldman was called Red Emma. 
because she was an anarchist and she said the government just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of that, they called her a, a commie uh, because she didn't believe in government. And But she said Americans do not want to be free. They want to be comfortable. Yep. They prefer the comfortable lie to the uncomfortable truth. Exactly. So she nailed it. Yeah. <clears throat> well, Daryl Wayne, welcome, sorry. buddy. Good to see you back, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're doing well. Welcome. Well, I uh, I just want to take just a second and thank everybody for all their condolences and uh, wishes and everything that uh, they provided, not only for my... Uh, my own little health situation, plus, uh, you know, my mom's passing. So I just want to thank everybody for that uh, who would be listening. But, Mike, uh, I, you know, what you're talking about with Samuel Clemens and and your grandfather's most astute observation, <laughs> they don't want to believe their, their mother's a whore. This just really seems, uh, <clears throat> you know, I'll just suggest, I'll just throw this out to you guys. This is really the only reasonable response that uh, uh, most of these people have to protect their own cowardice. They don't. There's no other. There's no other plausible means of protecting their cowardice. They would have to step away from their cowardice, and they. This this would uh, cause disorientation and vertigo, vertigo in their. Uh, <laughs> in their in themselves and their belief system, so they have to protect cowardice at all costs. Excellent point. Excellent point. And by the way, by the way, Jim, mm-hmm. uh, or anybody else on here, uh, is is Eurofolk uh, website not working anymore? Or uh, good question. As far as I know, it should be. Um, let me see what I can see. Part of it, it's down, gentlemen. It came Part up of this it morning. is down. Oh, okay. Thanks, thanks, Mike. Yeah, yeah. It, it it kept taking me to a place that said this: the domain is for sale. <laughs> Whoa, that's weird. <laughs> so, yeah. Let me see here. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, the stream anyway. section is still up. That's the direct feed from the server. But the website itself, I just tried to go to, and it does seem to be, uh, if I'd spell it right. <laughs> yeah, it, it took me to contact the owner. Uh, no no connection to what was going on at all. Well, it just came up for me, eurofolkradio.com, and it's shown pop-up player, and vaccine should be tested on politicians first. I like that. <laughs> that was hours ago, so maybe it's fixed. Yeah, they probably, um, yeah, they may have been doing a little update or some kind of thing, but it appears to be going now. And it uh, shows a link there to Roger's show. Special report, Freedom from the 14th Amendment. Ew, cool. But, uh, yeah, I haven't even looked at this in a while. But, yeah, it seems to be working now. But good, yeah, yeah, that's good. Alrighty, yeah. Well, um, I don't know. Did, did has anybody else anybody else noticed that it's the, the that it's just the truckers and the working class, the men and women in Canada, have taken the uh, active physical actions 
the, the they they're the ones that really stood for sacrifice and for freedom and liberty and justice. That's pretty much the way it usually so, is. The uh, the wealthy so, and well born, whether it's but, two but hundred years ago or now, yeah. they're not going to do it. Right. Yeah, they're not. So gonna so who who's taken the who took the other side? Well, the the lawyers, the doctors, the nurses, the municipal employees, the corporations, um, and the, the beneficiaries of government largesse have taken the opposite position. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, all the collaborators uh, will and would have you suffer so that they would never sacrifice any of their privileges. I just want to repeat that to you. Okay. Yeah. All the collaborators would have you suffer. Mm-hmm. So they would never sacrifice any of their privileges. Exactly. And to listen to any of the, yeah. you know, the reports coming out of the, the councils and everything there, it's just amazing how they're whining and wringing their hands about all this stuff when they're, they're complaining about having to go through exactly what they've inflicted upon the population for the last two years. You know, and it's just... Uh, Kind of interesting to see what they do when the shoe's on the other foot. But, you know, it's complaining, it's treason, it's, you know, uh, these people are destroying our country and going after our duly elected, democratically elected, you know, government and all this other crap. Um, you know, they're, they're supposedly taking up petition. They need a million signatures or something to try and get rid of Trudeau, and they're halfway there already. So who knows? But, uh, yeah, it's always it's always the blue-collar guys, the flyover country, so to speak, as they say it here, that are the ones that, you know, were the sleeping giant. And I think what happened is the truckers up there just got tired of all the stupid stuff, and they said, this is it, enough is enough. We quite, we're still in the evils are sufferable while evils, evils are sufferable, <laughs> you know? And... Uh, I think they reached the point, especially when they said you got to be jabbed so many times, and then every time you cross the border, you got to quarantine for two weeks before you can work again. Uh, they said, I don't think so. <laughs> That's it. So um, I, I I think that uh, we may not even wait to that point down here. They're just saying, hey, those guys are doing it. Let's jump on board and get get going too. And it's happening everywhere. So hopefully the second time around will happen in uh, in Australia. The first try last summer didn't make it kind of petered out. But I think they're doing a bigger push this time, and Lord knows they need to do it in New Zealand. Organize all those sheep, <laughs> four-legged and two-legged. But anyway, Mike, I hey, saw you left for a minute, and now you're back. What's up? <laughs> hey, yeah, hey, Mike. I just wanted to tell you something. Yes. Regardless of what you might read in the newspaper, I still like you. <laughs> okay. So do I. <laughs> I'll, uh... <laughs> I, I don't know if my, my infamy's quite reached the newspapers yet, but maybe soon. I appreciate that, Mike. I appreciate it. Hey, Jim. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm doing my best. Alan, is that yeah. you? No, it's Gary. Oh, Gary. I'm sorry. Go ahead. At least I didn't call you Greg. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> hey, I don't know if anybody's analyzed this trucker strike, but to me, I think it's playing right into their program. I mean, if you study history, and I know a lot of people on here have, that uh, they use starvation to control populations. And what better way to be able to blame it on people 
than this trucker strike with Canada and then here possibly in the U.S. Yeah, uh, yeah they're going to say, well, sword. yeah, most definitely. And so. I think I, I'm, I'm relatively certain that most of the people up there have kind of figured that out. But again, that's why, you know, it's it's going to have you know it's going to have the effect of of winning ultimately because the country is is going to be shut down and people are going to be starving and you know the, the 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 big thing here is whether or not the the narrative of the truckers can get out say we're doing this because the government is corrupt and crooked and they need to stop doing this stuff and as soon as they stop as soon as they comply things will go back to normal and you know that's the the whole key there whether they can and the populace whether they see it on the news or whether they actually see it with their own lion eyes um, if enough of them see what's going on and realize that the truckers are fighting for their freedom and they may get hungry in the meantime because they didn't didn't plan like they should have seen it on right on the wall um, and the same thing here you know, there because of the lockdowns that were caused by this stupid pandemic, millions have died around the world from starvation, and that's just the tip of the bucket. If the truckers stop, you know, you're going to see the same thing everywhere. But that may be the only thing, short of armed insurrection, that will get the and and it would be better than armed insurrection. I think uh, it's it's a peaceful way. So supposedly that is still going to get the job done and it's just a question of whether or not um, either the government gives in or people said that's it we're going to take over the government and clean it up and run these people out and start fresh and then again, the truckers will start rolling again who knows go ahead my response my response to that is this is that the uh millions of boobists who are out there who believe and trust in this government the only thing that is ever going to change that trust, the only way they're ever going to believe that their mother is a whore is when it starts hurting. As long as they're comfortable, they don't care what the government does. As a matter of fact, Stalin said, I can get as long as I give my people comfort, get them to a comfort level, I can do any damn thing I want to. Mao Zedong called it the three bowl of rice a day theory. As long as my people have three bowls of rice a day, they don't care what I do. And that is exactly it. And so if these truckers are creating a shortage that's going to make Boobus wake up, I'll, I'll, I'll suffer through it. Yep. And the thing is, there's always, it's the old survival of the fittest. You know, the people that are the Boobuses, chances are they're the ones that uh, voted in these morons in the first place. And if they're the ones that starve to death as a result, you know, I don't really have a whole lot of sympathy for them. Simple as that. I don't care to see people starving to death. It's a bad way to go. But uh, I would rather see some idiots that were part of the problem starve to death than to see other people who are trying to be a part of the solution, you know, have that same fate. Well, people who support the government I... lost, lost my affection a long time ago. Yep. If you're supporting this right. monster, I really don't care. Go ahead, exactly. DW, help me. Well, I, I just wanted to take notice that uh, uh, a fine observation by Gary and his uh, strategic 
thinking. And uh, I, I generally, I generally uh, like the uh, observation and the question, Gary, because uh, <clears throat> as, as far as I know, based on the information I have available to me, the Canadian trucker convoy is as organic an operation as I've probably ever seen in my life on this uh, continent. Uh, having said that, will it be manipulated, uh, propagandized, and uh, uh, you know, leveraged through public uh, Zionist uh, media for counter counterintelligence purposes? Well, yeah, absolutely it will. So, the what does that lead us to? It leads us to an inflection point. And this is this is something I hope that uh, Mike and I'll be able to talk about on Sunday, to amongst any many other things that we can talk about. But I I see this as an inflection point, and um, it uh, it will, will be very interesting, you know, to see where it goes. But there will be a pivot uh, in the very new future, very near future next two three months off this inflection point in ottawa and and how it uh politically uh expands or uh contracts uh, i i don't think that uh well, to to paraphrase one of my favorite uh generals of all time who was the epitome of strategy uh, first you get them running, then you chase them to hell. <laughs> oh, that was Nathan, Nathan Bedford Forrest. <laughs> who, really? Uh, run, Forrest, run! <laughs> yeah. And maybe that's where they got that from, Mike. But, you know, he actually won a battle. He actually won a battle here right in the, in the very holler that I live in and marched down the road that's my with his troops right down the road in my hall hmm. right in front of my front yard here. So, wow. um, but that, uh, the, the, this inflection point is, will be, uh, you know, on an, on perceptions, uh, is this a, is this a good thing that's happening? Well, from my point of view, it is, but, uh, what are you going to do with it? This is just a, this is just a, an, an initial skirmish actually. Mm -hmm. This is, this is not a, the battle, the battle, skirmish. Well, can yeah. somebody correct me if I'm wrong? But isn't a sodomite elf now become part of the spokespeople for this trucker rally? Uh, the, oh, the international, international sodomist elf? elf. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's who they're showing on the mainstream media in context to it. So. Or are they just well, going the in and subversing? Media, if the mainstream media the mainstream is saying it's obviously a lie. <laughs> yeah, but that's what Boobus watches. Well, we have a big to hell with, to hell with Boobus. They're, they're not going. They're not going to promote freedom in anybody's respect. Somebody's got a speaker in the background that's causing feedback. You got to make sure that if you're listening to speakers or something, you got to turn them down. There we go. Guys, we have to forget Boobus. Put yeah. Boobus to the side. Uh, Boobus doesn't matter. Boobus is not going to help you. And when you get, if you win, if you triumph, Boobus will tell you it was his idea to start with. 
Yeah. So forget Boobus. Put Boobus out of your mind. I don't give a damn what Boobus listens to. I don't care what they think. I've forgotten that anymore. I tell people when I pass them, or, you know, or at least it goes through my my head. You're wearing a mask. You're my, my enemy. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Right. You wouldn't recognize well, Liberty if it yeah. kicked you in the ass. Boobus, Boobus made himself and herself irrelevant. So treat him as such. Yeah. They they determined that they would be irrelevant, so treat them as such. They're not in at the arena. At the very best they can do, yeah, at the very best they can do, since they can't lead, all they can do is follow. So at that point, tell them what to do. They're very good at, at complying and taking orders. So just be assertive and tell them to either follow or shut the hell up. Yeah, and if they get in the way, um, and they'll, the they'll respond. They'll respond. Yeah, they're, they'll respond because they're they're good dogs, and a, a good dog will always be obedient. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, I've actually had to do this with uh, actually close personal friends of mine, and kick them to the side of the road, and with a degree of contempt. <clears throat> those are those are very long friends of over twenty years. Uh, we we can't we can't uh, we can no longer participate. Yeah. I, I can no longer treat you with respect. You you have to step. We have to step away from this. Yeah. Uh, don't get in the way, by the way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so. Uh, it's it's a sad reality. So that's. All right. That I mean, Mike, uh, you, you would know as well as maybe anybody, maybe even have the statistics. Uh, this was Bubis was present during the revolutionary uh run up to the Revolutionary War and during it, too, wasn't he? Oh, yes. Classic. Yeah. Roughly 95% of the population. 90 to 95%. That's a a good estimate. Uh, You know, there are, throughout history, if you're a student of history, you learn that all the people we're referring to as boobus, the species boobus americanus, as long as you listen to them, you know, and as long as you follow them, you're lost. They never know the path. The only way they ever get anywhere is to follow people who actually have courage. And then they usually don't follow them. They wait until they accomplish the job. And then they jump on board and say, look what I did. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I knew that all along. Yeah, I, I knew that all along. I was just, I was just working undercover. Yeah, yeah that's what I was doing. Yeah, vote for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, vote for me. Now that now that we've taken over, I'll run things. Well, Jim, I was just looking at uh, some folks sent me some uh, advertising stuff from some senators back in Arkansas. And I'm absolutely and totally amazed at the fact that they're they're running for re-election now in, in 2020. I, I'm sorry, 2022. They're running for re-election. So they come up with these things. Uh, well, look what we have done for the rights and the freedom of the people. <laughs> you, you mean know, to them? <laughs> yeah. When are we going to judge people by what they've done, not what they tell you they're going to do? Or they tell you they did, and which is a lie. Yes, yes. It's 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 unreal that we see people who will still follow for that. 
oh, elect me, I'm going to protect your rights and I'm going to stand up for what you, what's important to you. But don't forget that the last four years, I've screwed you out of the majority of your paycheck. I've made you wear a mask and I've told you to take a vaccine, but I'm about to lead you to freedom, baby. <laughs> yeah. Only an idiot falls for that. Yeah, that... that... That's the that sounds like the kind of second lieutenant that got fragged in Vietnam. That's who that sounds like to me. Yeah, but uh, that's just my opinion. But oh, DW, <clears throat> I know a guy. Yeah. I know a guy who got fragged in Vietnam, and to cover it up, they gave him the Medal of Honor. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, now there's a conundrum. <laughs> do we let the smuck live, or almost, do we uh, give him our defile our nation's highest honor by killing him? <laughs> Oh man, yeah. Dead heroes can't get yeah, anybody killed. I guess. That's a it's a hell of a thing to base your life and your your identity and uh, his yeah. uh, pieces of ribbon and metal, mm -hmm. to pieces little pieces of irrelevant ribbons and medals. But and, they uh, found that that was one of the most effective things at getting guys to do stuff. <laughs> No pay, nothing like yeah, that. But yeah, yeah, give you a little piece of ribbon and metal, and all this. What did, what did Napoleon say? Something to that effect. Napoleon said, "Isn't it amazing what you can get men to do for little colored pieces of paper?" Yeah. Charge hell with a squirt gun, you know. <laughs> yeah. Actually, uh, the the more you abuse them, and the more you make them suffer. For, and the, the least return on it, the more they they embrace it uh, as a noble, a noble and virtuous uh, sacrifice. Damn, uh, DW! If you, you give them too to much, they, Bubis, uh, are you trying to tell me that Bubis is uh, <laughs> masochistic? <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess that's exactly what it would be, right? That would be exactly what that was. So. Uh, a, sado, a sadist and a masochist walk into a bar. You know, <laughs> that's the joke, right? Or, or, or how about, okay, how about how about this one? How about, this is a setup for a joke. Uh, uh, two Jews walk into a bar looking for a liar. <laughs> okay, that's just a setup. Yeah, okay, so, you know, uh, you know, this, this is... Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just... My, my, well, most uh, bars have mirrors here, behind guess, the but... bars, so they're going to find them eventually. <laughs> <Right>. They're going <laughs> to. <laughs> so, uh... yeah, that's a that's an interesting concept, Mike. Sadomasochism. Yeah. So, and uh... oh, hurt me some more, please. Yeah. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Well. <laughs> What the, uh, what the, uh, well, here, well, here's, here's actually a real joke. I, I, I got this joke from a, a physical therapist about uh, 23 years ago as, as she was doing a deep massage on my, my torn rotator cuff on my shoulder. And she goes, she goes, Daryl, I go, what? She goes, what did the sadist do to the masochist? As she's inflicting pain, <laughs> and I, I go, I, I, I don't know, Christy. What did the sadist do to the masochist? And she laughed, and she says, nothing. <laughs> so what, what would, 
what would all these masochists do if they were actually left alone? They, they would they would look for somebody to abuse them. I need, I need, I need some. No, you I don't have my, to look. Government's my, my, right there ready and willing. Beat me, whip me, make me pay. Right. <laughs> I, I need my daily humiliation. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, but uh, along this line of train of thought, guys, you know, uh, um, Aldous Huxley in his Brave New World said that, uh, you know, with the, the proper... Uh, political science and social engineering and social engineers they will you will come to embrace not only embrace but love your 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 slavery mm-hmm. this well this has come to pass you know this this we're we're living post uh, a brave world brave new world we're, yeah. we're past that we're into the next uh, next level they're so all their chains to celebrate their freedom Yeah, yeah, and hopefully, you know, I'm. It'll be nice to see if the if the truckers are successful. You know, the thing is, is we've all got to be behind them. Got to do what we can to support them. That's why I've been saying to me, to, you know, for the last several months, get prepared. You know, stock up, so when you know when this stuff happens, you're not in a bad shape, and you're able to help the guys instead of uh, get mad at them. And all boobas out there yeah, that have just yeah. been fat, dumb, and happy all this time, shame on them. That's, what, that's the real survival of the fittest. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, don't we all, all of us that have been, had some life experience in different things, uh, you know, uh, you, you, my planning involves... Uh, it seems redundant, but contingencies. I, I always look for contingencies mm-hmm. and redundancy, yeah, and uh, durability and value. And I look for that not only in my my equipment and my resources, but also my uh, people I call friends and the ones that are even closer as I call brother. So, bingo. Uh, make your circle make your circle tight and strong. There you go. And find out who your people are. Find out who your people are. Yeah, find out who your people are and hold them close. Well, guys, don't forget the uh, masochist who told his psychologist that he was a masochist, and his psychologist <laughs> said that he shouldn't beat himself up over it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and with that, Robert has joined us. <laughs> Oh, goodness, I see him down there in the corner lurking. I, I know how to get Robert out of the woods. And he's unmuted. What? Look out, here he comes. Oh, he muted again. Come on, Robert. I know you Robert, have something he, to say. Sometimes he mutes because there's too much noise, noise yeah. around. Yeah, yeah, there was a truck just went by. I'm on my lunch break. What's a massacre? What's that? <laughs> a massacre. <laughs> Well, that's, that's another dictionary moment. You need to get Robert, yourself a but, dictionary. Uh, that is, that is, that is a uh, an individual of some sort who psychologically wants to be punished and abused. There, in a in a in a sadomasochist relationship, they're usually the one that's tied up with a ball gag in their mouth, being whipped. Ouch! So, 
that's that's the masochist. Yeah. It's like the white man who's anti-white. He's ashamed yeah. to be white. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Ow. hey, Robert, Robert, he's what's a, the masochist's a, favorite drink? Yeah. Mm, you got me. Kool Aid. Champagne. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! <laughs> That's good. Had to find the right wow. uh, setting. Awesome. <laughs> Jim, you're slowing down. Well, you know, like I said, it's one of those things. Oh goodness gracious! It's good to have you, Robert. Thank you. Good to be here. Man. Now you've already talked about Kill Hall. I take it. Yes, yeah, sir, we yeah. kind of kind of went on from there. <laughs> we digressed. <laughs> I kept, yeah, you sure did. I kept the replay. It was good. Well, do Still you have is. a question, Robert? Um, yeah, kind of. I heard a guy on another podcast say that supposedly bodies are washing up or becoming exposed from the Rhine Meadows area. Are you know anything about that, Michael? Have you heard that? I have not. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I have. I heard about it. It uh, over the last spring, yeah, last year, and the heavy rains and the floods in uh, the Rhine Meadows, where a lot of these camps were. Of course, the camps were actually all over Germany, mm-hmm. but in the Rhine Meadows, the uh, thousands of human remains and bones are being washed up out of the ground, and the area is being cordoned off. And there's been a clampdown and censorship on on this so that the uh, not only the world but the German people uh, aren't uh, revisited with the uh, the truth of Eisenhower's uh, death camps of other losses. Yeah, they sure don't. They don't want so, that. So, yeah. No, the, the killing fields, uh, the, the, uh, <clears throat> the uh, uh, Morgenthau, the Morgenthau killing fields uh, under uh, Supreme uh, Zionist commander uh, Eisenhower uh, and the uh, final solution for the German people. So, mm. or, or or Western man, maybe yet better, better, better yet, Western man. So, yeah, that that was the real it's Holocaust. Smart. Yeah. So. Well, I, I don't know. You guys are familiar with the greatest story never told. I assure you, you are. Yes. Yes. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, there, there was parts of that I wept. You know, just just seeing what they were doing to the German people, particularly the women. Uh, and it's it, it's I don't know it's it's imprinted in my mind now. You know. Yeah. Holy cow. Pretty oh, dark. It is yeah. very vile, vulgar. Yes. Well, you know, everything the Russian army did against the Germans when they were coming into Germany, they learned from the Union Army under General Sherman. Well, you know, I didn't realize that Sherman was a a Jewish name, but I was looking it up and... uh... Like... uh... 1848 or something like that. Yeah, you'd be correct. Oh, he was Jewish. 
Michael? Uh, partially. And, uh, Robert, wow. if you want to catch up, uh, there will be a replay of Jim's program, not only on Jim's Telegram channel, but on mine as well. Bingo. Will. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. We'll you know, it's, it it's fascinating. Once you know how to look for them, they're pretty easy to find. Well, uh, I'm, I'm anyway, glad that you brought. I'm glad you brought that up because on Saturday, uh, I have been asked to come on to uh, Giuseppe and Scorpio's program uh, called Operation Scorpio, and guys, we are going to break the ice on the Jewish control and domination of the American Constitutional Convention of 1787. Ooh. Well, they took, took out the part about having to uh, swear an allegiance to God. That's part of it, uh, Robert, but also the other part is how it was the Jewish influence that embraced slavery. Hmm. Yeah, it kind of did, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And, uh, you know, I've gotten into a, a series of books. Uh, uh, Robert, are you familiar with the series of books uh, written, uh, I think there were three books, written by Louis Farrakhan uh, about the secret relationship between the blacks and the Jews? I have heard him talk about it. I, I didn't read any of his books, but I've, I've definitely heard him talk about it, sure. Well, I have those books, and believe it or not, believe it or not, there is a gentleman who wrote a book uh, who uh, is Jewish, and he refutes Farrakhan, and so I would ask people very simply, uh, who would lie about Jews controlling the slave trade, a black man or a Jew? Oh, I, I, I couldn't agree more, and the biggest um, connection I, I can think of off the top of my head behind that one would be uh, the NAACP. That's an organization that was formed in 1907. They didn't get their first black president until 19... 576 been hooked seven decades later. Really? Oh, okay. Whatever. That that's because the NAACP was uh, formed and controlled by Jewish lawyers. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and other so, uh, so, so around uh, circa seventeen time period, circa seventeen fifty, seventeen sixty period, the um, the slave trade in the uh, the Crown Colonies uh, had was was in its uh, great transition from mostly a white indentured slavery uh, from the period of around 1598 up through uh, 1760, and the majority of slaves were uh, white indentured, uh, kidnapped and pressed, and uh, and uh, contracted slaves of, of that were white. Um, the uh, the first black slaves, twenty of them, didn't land on this on the shores of I think it was Virginia until uh, 1620, and there was only twenty of them. But the the the, the slavery and, and human trafficking and uh, uh, was a uh, a multiracial. Uh, experience and um, the transition into black slavery uh, and slavery for life uh, uh, was a, a transitional thing 
through uh, the 1600s and started to become uh, more prominent uh, in the early 1700s where the first uh, the first slave for life was um, strangely enough uh, found to be held uh, a slave for life by a Burgess court uh, by a, another black man. A black man took another black man to court to have been made slave for life. How interesting is that? But uh, the transition for out of uh, white uh, slavery into black slavery uh, occurred, accelerated in that period of the late 1600s up through about 1770, 1750 to 60. And this was, this was all due to profit. And uh, they, the mortality rate of the blacks was uh, uh, reduced significantly and was more profitable, which then uh, as uh, individual colonies around uh, the Northeast and, and the South, um, piece by piece, piecemeal by piecemeal, and local jurisdictions uh, uh, codified uh, slavery and ownership. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, the there was a great drive for profit, profit at this in this inflection point again at 1750, 1760, where there was still white slavery and indenture, believe it or not, it still existed. But it had transitioned over that 1700 period into a a black oriented uh, trade, and this was conducted mostly through the carry trade of the uh, the ships, the uh, the investors, the joint stock companies, and uh, the uh, the uh, local planners, uh, and this is. Uh, uh, a huge profit and it also extends into the caribbean and the bermuda uh, for the cane sugar and uh this is what is the 1750 m60 i'm talking about and what do we have shortly thereafter we have a uh, a revolution and then we have a banking coup and uh, the constitution which codifies slavery for the very same people that were profiting from it uh, so there's an article fascinating stuff mike there's an article about five or six parts called we thought they were white excellent yeah excellent yes, that's, that's an excellent good one excellent and article. dw yeah. and dw yeah. and brent are you familiar why that uh, uh king uh, uh george king james why they switched uh from uh Transporting mostly white slaves to black slaves. The triangular trade. Well, that was part of it, Brent. But the big outstanding part was simple economics. Uh, they found out that the greater yeah. demand for slaves was in the southern regions, and the southern uh, uh, person—I mean, the black person with darker skin. Uh, was much more uh, adaptable to the heat and the exhaustion uh, factors in the South than was the white person. So it was an economic decision, yep. uh, which ended up being based on race. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. That was that was that was when they recognized uh, the uh, the significantly. Uh, actually, I think it was 
was like, Mike, I think it was like four times lower mortality rates associated with black slaves than yes. with uh, Scottish, English, and Irish. Yeah, yes, that's exactly. exactly. There's, there, there are direct, I, and I actually have, I have the, uh, I have the information. <laughs> you can find this, you can find exactly what we're talking about. The, as the prelude to the constitution of the slave trade and the real nature of it in a book called White Cargo. Yes, great okay, book. You, you really, you, you have to read this book to reorient yourself and your perspective, the context of what Mike is talking about in the run-up to the uh, not only the revolution but the Constitution. It it actually starts to make as horrific as it is. It actually makes economic sense from a slaver's point of view. I've read um, that only about five percent of the black cargo got up to the uh, actual, you know, Connus and, you know, the rest of them, you know, were all around the Caribbean and South America and what have you. And we think we had it bad up here. They were horrendous down there. Right. It was no right. old bar. The, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> in, in the book, White Cargo, Brent, there's a section... Uh, I think it's about halfway through the book, maybe a little farther, and it talks specifically and 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 um, about Bermuda and and uh, 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 the the sugar cane. Um, uh, it, it, it was sugar. It was the European addiction to sugar that drove the uh, profits of the uh, the Caribbean uh, slave trade, and they were. They were uh, Sephardic Jews. End of story, period, point blank. Uh, Alexander Hamilton's people. There you have it. Well, gentlemen, I, I would feel remiss if I didn't take the opportunity at this point to mention none other than a true American hero, a Mr. Manning Johnson, who wrote a book called Color, here, here. Communism, mm -hmm. and Common Sense, and then shortly thereafter met a suspicious death. But no one, in my opinion, I rank Manning Johnson's heroism right up there with Patrick Henry and many of our founders. Some of the people may feel that's a, that's an overextension. I don't. Well, Mike, uh, Manning Johnson, uh, his congressional testimonies and then his subsequent uh, suspicious death he was testifying to and laying out the methodology, intrigues, and and strategies of a one Martin Luther King. Yes. Martin Luther King Today. was the Martin Luther Martin Luther King was the live action role player, the LARP, uh, uh, the cutout uh, that Manning Johnson was talking about that they were trying to create. Okay. So, well, very much so. And uh, also that testimony uh, for any of your listeners, Jim, and for any of my listeners, we'll try to post it on my channels, my three channels as well. But uh, for any of you who do not have access to the PDF of Manning Johnson's wonderful book, and also if you do not have access to his testimony before the U.S. Congress uh, House Affairs, Un-American Affairs Committee, if you don't have those 
uh, I want to try to make sure that everybody gets those. This is a man who history has forgotten, and they sure as hell should not be forgotten. We should have streets named in America, airports named in America for Manning Johnson and not other leaders, in my opinion. If you can get here, that here. PDF to me, Mike, I'll get it posted. Okay, you want a... me to? I'll send it to you, Jim. Do you want it by email or what? Uh, whatever way you want. You can put it in the chat. You can send it by email. Anything is fine. <clears throat> okay. All right. I'll do I have that. a. I have a. I have something here I can I can share with everybody that uh, is a uh, <clears throat> is a uh, depository of the richest. Uh, uh, censored books for the most part that's free and downloadable in PDFs. And if you go to a website, it's called uh, heritagehistory.com, and you will be able to download Manning Johnson's uh, books and uh, any number of other. Uh, incredibly difficult uh, books to um, obtain free of charge. And uh, I'm looking at it right now. You can get William Guy Carr. You can get Manning Johnson's Medley Butler. And there are um, any number of categories off of this website. Hidden History, Freemasonry, Canaanites, Conspiracy classics, wars and revolutions, protocols, world wars, and um, it's just it's just a fantastic resource for everybody, you know. Bookmark it and cruise through it, and and you can pull these things out for uh, for posterity and and put them on your hard drive. So, hey uh, guys, just as an update, uh, I was just told that. Uh, uh, Paul English got Eurofolk back up and running, and his description was it got COVID, was put on a respirator, got the jab, but then he made it better. <laughs> hey. Oh, Paul. Paul applied some essential Thank oils you, and some uh, uh, nitrogen or hydrogen peroxide to it, and it got all gooder. <laughs> okay. That it did. Awesome. Yeah, what a great uh, what a great show you guys you guys had last Friday. That was just uh, over the top, Paul. If you're listening, you know, outstanding conversation, excellent. Yeah, yeah I got to ring bring up the replay on that. I haven't had a chance to catch it yet. Oh, that was uh, not yeah, because was, I was, was in it, but Paul yeah. did a hell of a job, guys. So now that I'm not cutting grass yeah. all the time, I don't have, I don't get my time to listen to the shows anymore. It's uh, occupied with other stuff, and you know, I kind of miss that now. <laughs> I don't care for cutting grass, but it gave me a couple hours, at least once a week, where I could catch up on my shows. Well, go out there and well. pretend you're cutting the grass, Jim. Yeah, there you go. I'll get my mower stuck in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be fun. Everybody will get a good laugh out of that. Yeah, mow the snow. <laughs> Howdy. Howdy, Murr. How you doing? Murr. <laughs> all, hey, the, Murr. all the links you guys. Hey, all the guys. Uh, the links you guys are talking about are in the chat room, and I'll send some that sound like you don't have to. Uh, I have have Jim and Mike and. Great. Daryl's Thank you. Email. <laughs> this well, is really uh, good. Jim, I, Thanks, I, Murr. Oh, I'm sorry, Murr. I sent you the uh, Mal Manny Johnson book uh, uh, on Skype, Jim. 
Ah, fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I was looking for Heritage History, and uh, it kept coming up as a site for sale. And I forgot there's a dash in there, heritage-history.com. Bingo. It's in the chat, too. Yep, I just saw that. That's what saved my... my From going crazy. I thought, I know I got Mother, it right. You are a treasure. <laughs> I'll tell you what, she is good when it comes yeah. to finding stuff. That's for sure. I don't know what happens if i got to get a new computer. If I ever wear contracts it. and lose one, I'm calling you. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Mert, I, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to say, I'm going to give you the compliment that if my grandfather would have given you if he was still living. And he would have said, Merle, Mer. You're hell when you're well, but you're hardly ever sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just about never. Thank God. Yes, thank God for that. <laughs> but we appreciate you, Mur. We don't get to say it enough. Yep. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, I just thought I'd let everybody a know. A treasure. In the, in the chat. And I'm putting them in um, a chat I have for you, Mike. Uh, addicted... Number two, to destruction.tatango.com. So I put all links in there too because the chat there in Gypsy goes away when everybody else, when everybody leaves. So, yeah, that's true. Well, thank you. I'm Appreciate that, Mur. Appreciate that very People much. Don't have, you know, yeah, it's fun. I love to hear all of you. And even old Clay Martin there, the troll in the chat room. <laughs> he must yeah. have ulcers or something. I don't know, man. <laughs> You guys got to have a ping pong uh, game one of these days. Going back and forth. <laughs> well, hey, oh, Jim, my if goodness. I may, if I may I'm right here, Mar. You want to talk to me? Well, let's let's save no, that I for another time because we're just about out of time, and I want Mike to be able to get his uh, information about his other shows and websites. Thank you. Bye-bye. Let me, uh, let me throw in there the uh, three uh, Telegram channels. We have uh, Rebel Madman, uh, Constitutional Fraud, and Teach Me True History. On Teach Me True History on Tuesday nights, we have a lesson and a live chat. And, Jim, you got to show up, buddy. <laughs> and I hope, uh, and I hope uh, uh, we can get uh, – Robert's been showing up. I hope we can get DW to what show up. What day is that? Well. It's called uh, Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern. Ooh, I'm going to be tied up for the next 10 weeks. I'm doing a uh, blue water cruising class, and uh, one of the two-hour sessions is on Tuesday evenings. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Well, well, that's understood. You have prior commitments. Cer- certainly understand that. And don't forget, we have uh, coming up on tomorrow, uh, my good friend Cal Robbins and I are doing a program, and it's... Uh, called dare to think out loud on revolution radio and then on saturday i will be with operation scorpio and then on sunday it'll be old dw and i back again after a uh, hiatus there for dw so fantastic uh, would ask folks to come in and join us if they would please and you've got manman.org uh, is up and running uh yes and wait just a minute uh uh Brent, would you uh, tell the people the name of the show on Sunday evening, please, sir? And that show is Addicted to Our Own Destruction with Mike Gaddy and D.W. I love it. Thanks, Thanks, Brent. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Brent. Oh, boy. Fantastic. And with that, we are pretty much out of time. Mike and D.W. and everybody. 
thanks so much for being here. It's been a great show. Really enjoyed it. Learned a lot, as always. And um, just encourage everybody to take care of your bodies because it's the only, the only place, place you have to live. That's right, by golly. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back live on Monday. Tomorrow will be a replay of this show, it looks like. And uh, everybody take care. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you soon. Take care and God bless. Thank you. Don't forget Sunday Super Bowl Sunday. And it's clearly another example of a man keeping us down. (laughs) Amen, brother. (laughs) 